is The Reason for Time, Episode 8, a podcast about memory, invention, truth, and love, and how they all came together in a novel. Listen. The world and all had taken to the lake that day. As we got closer, I could hear the shouts of children, maybe boys swimming naked as some of them would do, and someone far off playing music on a trumpet or some such. Desmond moved his hand down from my elbow and took my slick hand into his. All right, darling, he squeezed, and then I did not feel hot but cold, like February slush in my shoes, my eyes swimming before I did, and then how many minutes later, I don't know, we were there. Ten minutes? Half an hour? Two days? And me thinking of that old priest talked about marriage and thinking too of Eveline and even though she didn't go to church, even if I knew she went with coloreds, I did not think her a bad sort, though the priest would have thought her so. It wasn't done much. People said it was unnatural to mix the races. Same ones thought everyone should be separate. Separate places in the cars, in the theatres, separate restaurants, separate neighbourhoods, separate schools. He looked good enough, a gentleman in that suit of his and the hat. Later, when I got to know him, I found he was a gentleman. Still, Eveline had her nerve. Not as simple as good and bad. Life and its complications is what I came to understand. Back then, I couldn't say what I thought. Not with Desmond parting the bushes like they were the loveliest glass-beaded curtains and inviting me into that dappled copse already cleared, the weeds flat as if he'd prepared it for me. But no, there'd been others before us. You could see it in the left behinds. Papers from sandwiches or some such thing stuck to the bushes. And there beyond, as before, the lake doubling all the light sent down by the blazing midday sun. Here we are then, darling, just as I promised. And isn't it better without the crowds? Like we're the only ones on earth, wouldn't you say? Just like Adam and Eve. He peered down at me, grinning, and I rolled my lips together, wondering if he wanted to go for a kiss and would it be right. No question it would not be right, not by what the priest said, but weren't the voices of the priest lost in the din of romance novels and movies like the wonderful broken blossoms, while me... I was thinking again of how life unfolds if you let it. And could something naturally rolling out of events be wrong? Just a flicker in my mind in that standing moment before he turned. I'm going to test the water while you put your bathing costume on, said Desmond. I bet it's peachy warm today and better than this time of day without the midges. Loved the swimming he did, and my mind moved ahead to the children we'd have. As many as the Lord would give us, but I hope for four two of each, and how he'd want them all to swim, and what a fight there would be if I gathered them round me for safety. How he'd laugh at me, but maybe not with the affection he was after showing me that afternoon, the joking. The thought worried me as I undid what I'd done up a couple hours before, unbuttoned the shirtwaist and spread it on the bush nearest, stepped out of the skirt and put it on the same, lifted the petticoat up over my head and shook it before it too came to rest on that sustaining bush its few leaves sick green for want of water. The air met my skin for the seconds before I tugged the bathing costume up over the bloomers were part of it. I managed to get the top under the loosened chemise, and then I slipped that off, on to the bush. There I stood decent, my drawers hid in my cloth bag with the extra stockings I'd thought to bring, 
though I still lacked the slippers girls wore in the photographs I saw in the Sunday supplements. It was still shoes for me, ordinary shoes I took off when I spread my towel and lay my hat on top of my cloth bag. Then I could breathe, and I did, eyes closed, till I heard the rustling meant he was coming back, and didn't I bite my lip to stall the cry wanted to rise from all the wanting inside me, the dimple when he smiled, him tilting his head to the space beyond our nest. I'll be just a minute, Maeve. Directly in front, there's only the lake lapping at the sand and the little stones. No froth on the curling waves today. It was that calm, lovely. And not far off on either side, there were pears and a group of children splashing. More lovely still when he dropped down beside me on a towel of his own, and as if it were not warm enough, flames licked at the small space between our two bodies. He took off his flask. Courage, he asked, extending it to me. I turned him down. You're not one of them temperance types, I hope. That dimple again, and his brow wrinkling as he squinted against the sun. I assured him, no, I was not, but I'd wait a bit. For what if the drink made me senseless, and I lost my footing and went under? Wasn't courage so much as a trap I saw in that bottle, but I never said. No, instead I got him talking about himself and the war, and how he'd been ready to go, but they didn't want him because of that eye of his wandered sometimes. Have you noticed? Wouldn't it took Anna Ava or Houdini himself to read the mind of Mr. Desmond Beloy, but a body resists, tells herself stories. We were there for the swimming, like half the city spread out along the grit border of the lake, and it was kind of him to offer to instruct me. If he thought I looked like Dorothy Phillips, well, I didn't mind opening myself to that comparison. And if it might be his Bridgeport political connections, the reason for him missing the war, as much as the eye tended to stray... Couldn't it be the good people after compensating me for Packy? Putting in my path a manhole save for that eye and a car man about to accept an increase in pay. He was a sort of magician, Desmond, with the power he had to make me believe. But there'll be plenty of time for that talk later, darling. Let's make the most of the day. Come to me. He stood and extended his hands, but I got myself up, trying hard to avoid that touch. All the while, him blathering about how this was the hour and there couldn't be a better place and wasn't it why he'd brought me here instead of one of them spots where the people crowded and splashed and some you'd never want to be sharing the water with anyhow. There aren't but a few bits of stone on the bottom. There, that's right. Come, Maeve. Come with me. A spout of cool water shooting up my spine, circling my neck, my shoulders, joining all them little blue streams beneath the skin, goose-bumped again. Him leaving me at the edge to go deeper, standing out where the lake covered his knees, bending down and scooping up the water and laughing, me saying, Don't, and him only laughing more and urging me. It's grand, it's grand, Mabe. I can't give you any kind of a lesson if you don't go past your ankles. Me recalling the Thursday last, the little fish is not so bad, the truth being it not as deep and frightening as I'd thought. Remember, remember, said me to myself as he shook his head and dove under and came up again, and there he stood, his wet costume bulging in places I was not supposed to look, just as I'd not been meant to look when first my eyes darted there and away, then back again, his hair flopping over his face, white, skin, luminous as the moon in my dreams, and the actual water, not cold as what ran in my veins at all, but not as hot as the air and me moving forward till I was into my knees and squealing. Does it get any worse? 
Him laughing. Of course it does, darling. But if by worse you mean the deep of it. There's enough water to float a ship big as the Titanic. Was it the mention of the disaster came the year after Margaret and me boarded the Mauritania and suffered our first crossing, stopped me before I'd got halfway out toward Desmond Stewart? Or was it Janet? The thought of her maybe out there, under the water somewhere. Because weren't there invisible currents could have carried the dear child from the north of the city down there? He scowled impatient-like. Suit yourself, he said. I'm only offering an opportunity. Aimed himself right into and under the lake so I couldn't see him for what seemed a terrible length of time. Angry with me then. Ready to toss me over for some other girl, prettier, not only prettier but more fun, liked to swim. Didn't that get me moving out towards him till I felt something on my leg? I screamed, thinking at one of them eels, when it was only himself, Desmond Malloy, his hand where it should not have been on my stockinged leg, pinching me, pretending to be a big fish, then rising up, dripping and gasping, and putting his wet arms right around me, and me with the fright sinking into them. Oh, then I could feel the bulge I was not supposed to feel, and pulled myself away, tried to, and thought of Margaret and St. Patrick's and Mammy and Da, and the young ones we'd left, and the sisters of perpetual grace, and the blessed virgin herself who'd never known a man. But I was in a trance, like some magician had worked, for my head turned up to Desmond's downcoming one, and we were kissing, and oh, I should have got away, but I didn't. And he was pressing closer in, his body arching over me, and me thinking, this is not the gentleman he promised to be. But that thought, too, a sparrow you see in the verge so quickly, you're not sure you see it at all. A flock of them thoughts rose up. Me with no leisure to imagine where they would nest, and if I'd ever needed to speak up, it was then, but his tongue was after sneaking through his lips right into my mouth, and then I did pull away because I was out of breath. Another tongue touching mine. His tongue. My stockings were wet all the way to my bloomers, and my parts lit up like the Palmer house at Christmas holidays. For once in my life, I was stopped where I stood. His voice had gone husky, him frowning like he wasn't happy and saying, Maeve, darling, you don't have to swim if it frightens you, dear. You've had a splash, and you're cooler, aren't you? And I've heard the stories of them immigrant ships. It's a wonder you're here at all. It's not that so much but little Janet. The police want to drag this very same lake where they think he threw her body. It's that worrying, is it? Nice, understanding, and maybe the music in my head would stop. A player piano speeded up like, warping the melody. I could dress, and we would stroll back to the park and find a lacy tree limb to sit beneath, and he'd buy us slices of watermelon, and we'd listen to the fellow on the squeeze box or one of the others with their hats on the ground to collect coins. Except he was leading me back to the cops and arranging our towels side by side, while me, I was thinking about the clammy feel of my wet stockings. He coaxed me down and took out his flask again, and then I did take a gulp to stop the shaking came from the wet stockings. Or was it my own heart beating so fierce it got me trembling? Also, because what else was I not after doing that day? Kissing a man in the middle of Lake Michigan, drinking whiskey. Shouts occasionally rose and drifted over on the still air, and he's saying, there, there, dear heart, don't worry yourself about the child. She's probably just fallen asleep somewhere in the sun. And didn't I want to accept that as the answer to the mystery? Improbable as it was. But then he was lowering me and caressing my buds through my bathing costumes. And didn't I understand then what my da meant about them blooming and I rolled away? No, no, I said, getting to my knees, my feet. 
pushing through the bushes where my clothes awaited me. I heard him laughing, even singing, and laughed as I was, I realized my towel lay behind with him. There I was, standing in my wet stockings, having forgotten I'd brought dry ones, and struggling to get the chemise right over my damp skin. Did, hurried with the petticoat, so it was only my overclothes missing when he rustled through them same shrubs and held the towel up. Forget something, darling, his voice deeper and softer so with the whiskey. Him reaching out and me falling towards him and us shuffling. Would have been comical, but no, not to us. Nothing comical about that fierce yearning drove us back to our poor bed, where he found it easier then to find my buds. And didn't he kiss them? And didn't they blossom then into the most tender white flowers? And then his hand was moving down to where it shouldn't, and I moved it away, not opening my eyes, but the once to see his face near mine, eyes half-closed and the tiny red-gold hairs sprouting in his beard and chafing me as he whispered, Shh, shh, Maeve, darling, I'll be gentle, I will, dearest, my own. This is what I mean. This is what I mean about it all being so natural, one thing leading to the next and no planning involved. But me, I wasn't thinking so much then, only feeling slickness down there. Not the same sweat had lathered my hands minutes before when we hurried over the trampled grass to our wedding bower there. Then him fumbling with his bathing costume and climbing on top and that club, which is how I recall it, the feel of it, even though it's dirty to even think such thoughts. Oh, yes, but that, like a billy bear against my skin. Poking, poking at my most private place, hurtful it was, and I bit my lip but never hollered at him saying over and over, shh, shh, my own maid, don't worry, like a lullaby, and then he's in it, in me, us joined the way men and women do, and I never felt anything like it. Lovely full. In the one moment I relaxed before he started moving. The two of us coupled. The emptiness filled. In the pictures, the orchestra music swells in a wave when lovers embrace, and the screen shows a sky with billowy clouds or some grand body of water sparkling. I saw the sky above me, not a cloud, only the haze same as hung over the city most days that summer. But for the most of it, I kept my eyes closed as if not seeing meant it didn't happen. Was that it? Also, with my eyes closed, the touches, the kisses, the parts of my body I never knew pressed deep into memory. I could feel them long after, even now. Furious moving, chug-chug, a train forcing me into the ground beneath the weeds, caught sand, maybe wounding something tender, him saying he's sorry and it wouldn't hurt for long, and next time, next time... Odd how we are driven to it, despite the pain, even him, because he cried out, same as if he'd injured himself, and then he sighed, and it was over. He kissed me and flopped over on his back. You're a peach, darling, is what he said, and me, after believing it, and caressing the stubbled cheek of him, whose eyes went droopy, him being drowsy with the sun and the swimming, nodded off. But me, how could I sleep with all ran through my mind? And I am sorry to say it was not poor Janet Ocker anchoring my thoughts at that moment. But not sorry, then, no. Though I knew we'd done wrong, at least wrong as the priest thought. It never felt wrong. Uncomfortable, yes, but I would not always be so, no. We'd be in a bed soon. I smiled, thinking, dreaming, and not of food, but of the future we'd have, me and Desmond. If this was the bargain, I'd keep my part. And Desmond had shown up when he said he would. Dependable as dependable could be when he thought of all was going on. Margaret need, need not worry at all at all, for here I had someone with a future as bright as the city itself. 
Even if trouble nibbled here and there, Mayor Thompson and all the big men at City Hall would make it right. Not that I was pondering the mayor, not that Sunday afternoon in Chicago with the sweet whistle of a snore coming through my ear. Growing late by then, the sun angled in across the tops of the bushes and our little hideaway truly dim, but it was still hot, even hotter with his half-clothed body so near, and me considering, despite my fear, maybe I would sit in the shallow part of the lake for a spell, be just the thing. But I must have dozed a little too before something woke us both. Laughter, boys was it, startled us. I looked over at the man meant to be the husband Packy never got to be, face bunched, gathered, wrinkled. He sat up and shook his head. What a day, said he, and I smiled, not with my teeth showing, just gentle-like, understanding. Sorry, darling, are you all right? We should have been in a grander place with soft pillows. Will you forgive me? I reached up to smooth that hair of his back from the peak, and he grabbed at my hand and pulled me to standing next to him. And I have to say I didn't mind at all sinking into that manly chest where I could hear his thundering heart. We've got to go. I should have been down at the barns. You better finish dressing. Isn't the big meeting for tomorrow night? He peered at me. How would you know that? Oh, yes, you're the one for the papers. Thing the papers don't tell everyone is there's a meeting every night. But it's your day off, sure, I called from the tangle where my skirt hung in the sheet shirt waist. I could feel the wetness around the vent in my drawers and already schemed how I'd rinse them out while Margaret slept. Maybe be a string of them off if the bosses don't give in to us. And don't believe all you read in the papers. There's no bullshit trying to influence. I'd never go for that. We're just ordinary men after a fair wage. It pained me a bit to follow him out onto the grass him walking that fast and a chafing down there, and though I'd finally remembered to put on my dry stockings, I must have rolled a pebble into them. I said nothing. The park looked tired after such a day, yet people were lingering. Some of them may be tired too. Others, packing their baskets, resigned, and didn't it seem God had tossed us all down on the earth like so many dice and some of us came up a six? The dream Desmond and me had began had been in began to fray at the edges and spill right open as we neared the streaming streets. He let go my hand and hurried ahead as if late for an appointment, which he was, so, at the car barn. There'd be no supper, not even coffee, should be wanted on such a day, but he stopped for another Dr. Pepper, a soda I never drank after that week. It was not a taste I liked, but how could I refuse Desmond, parched as I was? When we reached the loop once again, a a ball of soot layered everything beneath the elevated tracks. It was there he took both my hands. Would he kiss me right there in the corner of Adams Street with the world all going by? I feasted on the sight of him, my Desmond Malloy, a man taller than me by half as much again, shirt open at the collar, jacket loose too, and trousers wrinkled as they might be from any activity on a day like that one, even from sitting at the ballpark. His brown hair combed back, he'd seen to that, and his boat heard a cheerful anger covering his head. Despite the hat, his face had gone red from the sun and the heat and the whiskey he'd been sipping and the regret he felt for me that my debut should be on such a hard bed. Debut, he'd said, as if he'd been after introducing me to society at a fancy dress ball. That was the wonderful Ethel Witty as Maeve Cura. When I open this podcast... I say that it is about memory, truth, and invention. 
Memories are those I have of my grandmother, of Venice, of Chicago, and of boyfriends I had when I was younger. Truth? Well, I have to say that invention trumped truth in the parts that Ethel just read. The woman who inspired the novel, my maternal grandmother, was a single woman all the time I knew her. The story was that her husband had died of pneumonia when my mother was six months old. Grandma's bed had never known a man. I can be pretty sure about that because when I slept over at her place, I had to hang on to the side of her double bed so not to roll into the well she had made in the center over many years. She lived in little houses or apartments, one we kids dubbed the Penny House, though we should have called it the Dime House because it was the smallest on the street by far. I know she worked as a clerk. I know that she lived at 2501 West Monroe. Yet I see I know if it, as if it isn't possible she provided false information. On the few papers I found for her, her social security application form, and the alien registration card she had to have during World War II, she listed conflicting birth dates. And on the latter, she said she had no children. This was when my mom would have been about 20. Actually, I know more about my character Maeve than I ever did about her inspiration, my grandmother. Maeve was raised Catholic and she spent her adolescence with nuns who would have emphasized chastity as they did when I was growing up and probably still do. Although she had made her own way in Chicago, her insecurity, her sense that she could be found out, pursued for having escaped the nuns, kept her out of harm's way, if harm and men can be synonymous. And then she met a good Catholic boy. Patrick Breen, or Packy, wanted to marry her. But in 1918, the Spanish flu tore through Chicago and Packy became one of its victims. A year later, with her sister Margaret about to marry, Maeve was right for the streetcar conductor, Desmond Malloy, in all ways. Thanks to Ethel Witte, Alley Impress of Chicago, Harris Dixon, Scott Joplin, and Hans Nelson for helping make this podcast. Visit The Reason for Time on Facebook, where you can post a question or leave a message. Look for it on the virtual shelves of all the online bookstores, or better yet, ask for it at your local independent bookstore. In Quebec City, try Librairie Pantoute. Next time, I will talk about what led to the race riots. Guess who was part of the problem? Thanks for listening. I'm Mary Burns.